welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button, or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life, and we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Hi, I'm Lori. I am a wife and mom of five, and that is my greatest joy. But if you've never been to where we live, then there is something you may not know about me. Before moving to Indiana, I worked as a landscape artist, designing, planting, and maintaining gardens, and selling fresh-cut bouquets at farmer's markets in California. I have a deep passion for the outdoors, working in the dirt, and chasing sunsets. Growing up in Wisconsin, my family ran around the countryside all the time. Living here, we have land where we all enjoy being out in the sunshine, running with the dogs, playing soccer and basketball, climbing trees, mountain biking and dirt biking, cross-country skiing, taking care of fruit trees, grapevines, vegetable and flower gardens, and having campfires with friends. When you know where I live, it helps you to know and understand me better. For me, it's not just a place, it's a part of my story, and it's personal. Last week, we started a sermon series called It's Personal, and we looked into Luke chapter 19 and the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus and their interaction with one another, and we saw that within this brief interaction, like we don't get a lot, we get 10 verses of this relationship, but there's a depth there that is incredibly phenomenal. It's divine on Jesus' part. It's not something that we can necessarily replicate within ourselves, and yet in the context of building relationships, we can't. That, that there's, some, there's some patterns, there's some strategies here in what Jesus does that for us kind of lays a groundwork of how we ought to live within our world. And last week we recognized that it starts just by simply knowing someone's name. It centers around this, this verse, Luke 19, verse 10, where Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And that if we are his followers, then it means that we are about what he's about. That we are consumed and focused and centralized on what he is consumed and focused and centralized on as well. And so if we want to be about reaching those who are lost, and it just simply begins by us knowing their names. We have to know who they are. And today we're going to find that it's more than that. I mean, that's kind of like an entry-level point to a relationship. In order to have some sort of form of relationship, you have to know someone, right? There has to be a basis. You have to know their name. But it's more than that, and it's going to require you to know them more deeply than just their name. It's going to require you probably at some point to actually walk into their house. And that's what we see with Zacchaeus. When I was uh, in college, is April 10th, 2003, is the day I started dating my wife. Now, she wasn't my wife at that point, all right? But that's the, that's the beginning of our relationship, right? Like, that's day one when we decided to actually become boyfriend and girlfriend, and everything went from there. Two months later, we're still very early on in this dating relationship, I had a job as an intern 
for a, a, a group called CIY. It's Christ in Youth. You've probably heard of them before. We take our kids to their conferences. At that time, they just did high school stuff, right? That's how old I am. But they've, they've branched out. They offer all sorts of programs, all the way even down to like third graders. We say, I think there's a group of them leaving this week to go to one of their conferences, all right? So in the summer of 2003, I was an intern for them, and I was traveling all over the country helping put these conferences on for high school students, which meant that I left you know, Christina behind. This new relationship, she's still back doing her job, doing her thing in Joppa, Missouri. I'm traveling all over. I don't get to see her. And one day she gets a phone call from one of my friends who was doing an internship at my home church in Midland, Texas. And he was preparing to take a group of students to a CIY conference in Tennessee. It wasn't going to be a conference I was going to be at. But he called her and asked her to go as one of the sponsors for the trip. And she agreed. And the church paid for her to fly from Joplin, Missouri, down to Midland, Texas, so that she could lead this group of kids. Now, you need to know, we'd been dating for a very short amount of time, which meant that Christina was now stepping into my world without me. And, like, anxiety and blood pressure and panic were setting in. And I was, like, I believe I was, like, in Michigan, or, or I might have been in Indiana at that point, and just like terrified because I'm thousands of miles away and I don't have any control over this situation. And she lands in Midland and they get her set up and she stays in the home of some friends that I'd had literally from birth. People that I had known from the beginning of my life. She's spending the weekend in their house getting to know them. And then she goes on a trip to Tennessee with all these kids from West Texas all the way to Tennessee. That's a long van ride and lots of time in dorms. She stayed in a dorm room with my sister my sister was a high school student. And so like they, she spent a week with my sister. Like it's terrifying to me, right? And they get home, so long van ride back. She spends a whole week with my sister and all of her friends. She gets back and she stays the weekend in my parents' home. It's terrifying to me. Like even now I look back and I'm like, it's a miracle that it worked out. She, she got to sit down at a table and eat meals with my family without me there to make sure that the conversations they were having were appropriate, right? There wasn't that buffer, there wasn't that, that person to help make sure that everything was gonna go smoothly, it just went wherever it was gonna go, and I had no control. And, and I'm like, like calling all the time, like, hey, how's it going, what's happening? What's trying to like do damage control as much as possible. She's walking through my home, like looking at all the pictures on the wall, right? The, the shrines that your moms have of you down your hallway. Like she's looking at those things walking through my house. She slept in my room. All right. All of this to say that when she got back to Joplin, Missouri, and the next time I was in her presence, she knew me in a way that she had not known me before. Does that make sense? When you walk into someone's home. It will reveal things of who they are. It takes a relationship to a different place. There's an understanding and a knowledge that begins to just kind of pour out of that experience where you begin to have things like put together where, where pieces start coming together, where things start making sense. And my wife, at that point, my girlfriend, got to walk into my home and all sorts of things started making sense that I wasn't ready for her to have make sense. Jesus does this with Zacchaeus. Jesus says something really, really interesting. When, when he meets Zacchaeus and he calls him out of this tree, Jesus says to him, if you know the song, he says, 
I'm going to your house today. Remember that? He didn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to your house today. In fact, what Jesus says, it's in verse 5 of Luke chapter 19. He says, I must stay at your house today. It wasn't like a jolly like skip down the road, we're going to go to your house and hang out. It was, it was a look into the eyes of Zacchaeus, a man that Zacchaeus had never met previous to this, a guy who knows his name. There's a divine moment here. And in this moment, Jesus speaks into him and says, I'm staying at your house today. I've already decided. It insinuates that he doesn't even need directions. He knows where Zacchaeus lives. He's on his way there. It's a wild story. And this word must was surprising to me because it's not in the song. And so I looked it up. I wanted to know what this word meant. I, I started looking into it, and I found that this word is used all over the place in the New Testament. This word that we translate for must, it, it's in all sorts of different language, and it communicates this compulsion, this motivation, that there's something within that just requires you to move in that direction. And so I started looking through all the different musts that exist, and I see it in, in Luke chapter 11 where we're told that the will of God is expressed in the law and that it must be obeyed. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, says Jesus must die because it was the Father's will. In John 3, it says Christians must follow God's plan. In Revelation chapter 1, it says it is prophesied that these things must happen. And then in Matthew 17, it says, and that things must happen to fulfill prophecy. That there's this compulsion, there's this motivation. And most of the time, when you read through these different scriptures, you can see usually what that motivation is. Usually you can see the purpose of why things must be the way that they are. But when you see Jesus interact with Zacchaeus and he says to him, I must stay at your house today. It's not real, like, clear. It's not easy to understand exactly why Jesus says that he must stay at his home today. But by the end of the story, it becomes crystal clear. There's a compulsion, there's a motivation, there's a movement within Jesus that forces him into this direction. And it's Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. It compels him, it motivates him, it gives him a singular focus that moves him in that direction and it's why he has to stay at Zacchaeus' house on that very day. Now verse five Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of a tree and announces, I'm hanging out at your house. I'm going to stay with you. All right? That's fun. Verse 6, he climbs out of the tree. Verse 7, the people respond. We talked about this a little bit last week, that Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of this tree by name, and then everybody else sitting there says, I don't think Jesus knows him. And it's kind of funny because it's clear that Jesus knows him, but everyone in their mind is thinking clearly Jesus doesn't know him because if he knew him, he wouldn't talk to him. He wouldn't go to his house. He wouldn't invest in a relationship with this guy. That guy is a, and then like quotation marks, it's in your Bible, quotation marks, sinner. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus always goes to the home of sinners. Always. And we can say that pragmatically in the sense that, well, we're all sinners. And so if he comes to my house and he's coming to the house of a sinner, that's not what I mean. There's something about Jesus and his ministry. It's this, it's this compelling force that's within him. It's this motivation that we're talking about here. 
where he's constantly looking for those who are lost. And it forces him into places that most other people wouldn't go. He finds himself at the table of sinners frequently, over and over and over again in his ministry. You see people use this kind of almost as an accusation against him. He goes and he spends time with sinners. Which begs the question, just kind of as a side note for us, would he show up at your house and I don't mean that in the sense of we're all sinners. I mean that practically speaking. When you think of yourself, when you consider your relationship with God, do you view yourself as a sinner? Or have you, like most people, and I'll put myself in this category, I've been in church my whole life. I've been around church people my whole life. I know that there can become this attitude, this tendency within us, where we begin to see ourselves as better than others. That somehow over the course of time in my pursuit of God and my own even pursuit of sanctification and becoming more like Jesus, that at some point in my mind I transition and begin to recognize all the good I've done. And I begin to see all the good things I've accomplished and I've seen the change that takes place in me and I begin to see myself as better than I once was and praise God for it. And yet something also happens in my heart that I begin seeing myself also as better than them. And further along, than them. And I begin to see myself as pious and righteous, and I begin seeing them as the sinner. Does that res like, does that make any sense to anybody? And there's danger here, because there's something about recognition of being a sinner. And you'll see it in Jesus' interactions, all these different places that he goes. He goes to houses that contain sinners, because sinners have open eyes. They're looking for him. They're looking for hope. They're looking for help. They're looking for being saved. They're looking for someone who can come along and resolve the problems they have. The pious and the righteous don't need that. And it begs the question, would Jesus show up at your house? Jesus has a way of eating with sinners because they tend to have open eyes. The righteous don't see their need for him. And we can see that in a story very practically. It's in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, if you've got your Bibles, flip over to that. It's a really interesting story. In fact, it's a story that causes me to have more questions than answers by the time I'm done with it. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited into the home of a man who we're told is a Pharisee, and later we find out his name is Simon. Jesus shows up at Simon's house. Most often, whenever Jesus would be the guest in someone's home, he would be the guest of honor. They would make the evening about him. They would want him to talk. They would, they would make him the center of attention, and they would have all those, just everything that happens the whole night would be centered around Jesus, but not, not Simon. Jesus shows up, and he's got his disciples with him, and he's sitting in here, and, and there's other people there, and it becomes pretty clear that Jesus isn't so much the center of attention in this meal. Jesus is kind of the afterthought. That Jesus' presence is actually for the sake of making Simon look better, not Jesus having a platform. And Simon carries on with this meal. They're sitting at a table, and, and that time they're, they're going to be sitting at one of those tables that's low to the ground. They're not in chairs, which means that they're kind of like leaning into the table. Their feet would have been back behind them the, when they're kind of that's what they call like reclining at the table if you will okay so like he's he's on the floor he's leaning at the table his feet are behind him and then something just insane happens like seriously this is one of the stories that when I get to heaven I'm spending time talking to Jesus I want to know more about this story because it doesn't make sense okay this woman shows up she wasn't invited 
and she isn't welcome. And yet no one stops her. She shows up and she walks into this room and she comes in behind Jesus and she begins weeping over his feet. And the tears from her face are streaming down off of her face and onto his feet. And she leans down and she takes her hair and she begins to dry his feet. Now I, for the life of me, cannot comprehend why she was allowed to do this. And I can't for the life of me understand how any, like any moment I've ever experienced in my life doesn't match the awkwardness of this. Can you imagine the silence in that room and, and everybody's looking around, wondering, is someone going to do something about this? She's not welcome. She wasn't invited. This is awkward. This is uncomfortable. What's she doing? What's happening? And everybody's having these thoughts, but no one's saying any words. And they're just letting this play out. And it's weird. Simon doesn't say a word. In his own home, he sits there and watches this happen. And he doesn't say a word, but he thinks something to himself. And what he thinks, which that's dangerous because Jesus is in your presence, all right? But he thinks something to himself. And he thinks if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her do this. Which is fascinating to me. Because apparently Simon does know who she is. And Simon isn't doing anything about it. Are you following me here? It's the strangest story. I, I would love so much more context than what we have just in this one little simple story, all right? But, but Simon doesn't say anything. He's thinking something to himself, and then Jesus breaks the silence by talking to Simon. And he says, Simon, I have a question for you. And he says, I want you to imagine that two people owed a debt. One, 500 bucks. The other one owed 50 bucks. And they owed both to the same lender but neither of them could pay it. It didn't matter if it was the 50 or the 500. Both of them were unable to pay back what they owed. But the lender and its generosity came to them and forgave the debts and just canceled them out. And he said, Simon, tell me, which one of them would appreciate it more? That's how maybe I would say it if I taught it. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Simon, tell me which one of them will love more. Simon responds, first thing he says, by saying, the one who had the greater debt forgiven. And Jesus says, yeah, you're correct. And then Jesus does something really cool. Jesus turns his head and looks at this woman over his feet. She has not been addressed. She's not been spoken to. It's been silent. She's been completely ignored. But Jesus looks at her and keeps talking to Simon. I love it. He doesn't even address her. He still doesn't say a word to her. He just looks at her but keeps talking to Simon. This is what he says. It's in Luke chapter 7, verse 44. He says, do you see this woman? I love that question. Because everybody in there is like, yeah, we see her. What's going on? This is weird. What's happening? Is someone going to do something about this? Jesus looks to this woman, but he speaks to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? He says, I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He says, you didn't give me a kiss. Tim talked about that a few weeks ago. Meaning, you didn't greet me. I showed up at your home that you invited me to and you didn't even greet me at the door. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. 
very plainly what Jesus is saying to Simon here is that this woman has treated my feet better than you've treated my face. Do you see it? And then he tells Simon, I love this, because he's looking at her, but he says to Simon, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. He hasn't even said a word to her. And announces that her sins are forgiven as she sits there at his feet, weeping over him. And then it says this, verse 48, then Jesus said to her, after he said everything he needs to say to Simon, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. It's powerful. And when we look into scripture and we see that Jesus goes to the house of sinners, the reason he goes to the house of sinners is because their eyes are open and their ears are open and they're looking for hope and they're looking for help. They're looking for a savior. The reason he stopped going to the houses of those who are righteous and pious is because they didn't need Jesus. They thought Jesus needed him. Which one are you? What is your house? Do you think Jesus needs you to save this world or do you recognize daily how desperately you need him? I'm not saying we're all sinners in some sort of like casual way. I'm saying do you live in the reality of recognition that you are a sinner, that on your best possible day you desperately need Jesus for your salvation? And how you view yourself and how you think of yourself and how you walk through that space, it's the difference of humility and pride it's a difference of self-awareness and narcissism that you would recognize your need for Jesus today, not that you've accomplished something to where Jesus would need you. And even so, Jesus says he came to seek and to save what was lost. That he's looking for those in need of a savior. Now, if you read through this account of Zacchaeus. You can read those 10 verses in less than a minute. It doesn't take very long. It's a very quick story and it's everything we know. And if you read it, it sounds like Jesus calls into a tree, Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, the, the people are wondering what is going on here, and then Zacchaeus makes this grand proclamation, like right there on the side of the road. But most people would agree that that's not exactly how this happened. That there's some time that takes place specifically between verse seven and verse eight. Verse seven, all the people are thinking, Jesus doesn't know this guy because he wants to go hang out with this sinner. But the, by the time we read verse eight, there's probably been several hours. Jesus and Zacchaeus have traveled down the road. They've made it to his house. Jesus at this point has now walked through his home. He's seen the shrine of his mother and all the pictures on the wall, if you will, right down the hallway. He's seen the kitchen. He's seen the bedrooms. He's seen how Zacchaeus lives. He's spent some time with him. He's had things revealed to him that Jesus knew because of his divinity. But for us, we would have understood Zacchaeus better after walking into his home. Jesus has had enough time to know Zacchaeus better because he's been in his home. Can you remember, like in elementary school, when you had a friend that you'd become really good friends with, but you'd never been in their home, and the first time you went to their house? You remember that happening? Like, I'm not talking about the kid that, like, lived down the street because you were in their home, they're in your home all the time. That, that happened all the time. I'm talking about, like, later in elementary school. And you walked into class on the first day and you saw a bunch of kids that you didn't know. 
and you got placed next to some of them in class, and over the course of the year, you built a friendship. You, you played the same things at recess, or you looked for the same books in the library, or whatever it may be, okay? Like over time, you found out, wow, this random person I didn't know existed is actually very similar to me. We have a lot in common, and you had a lot of similarities, and then something happened over that course of time where eventually you were invited to their house, probably for a birthday party. Can you remember what it was like to go to that person's house for the first time? I can remember Joey from sixth grade. I don't remember his last name. I don't remember a ton about him. I know that we were in class together. I know that he played soccer. I know that I never saw him again after sixth grade. Never saw him before, didn't see him again after. But I got invited to his house. And everything that I knew about Joey changed when I showed up at his house. He had a birthday party. And as we were driving through town to get to his house, I realized Joey lived in a bit better place than I did. And as I got dropped off, I recognized that all the other cars of the parents dropping kids off seemed to be a little bit better than my mom's car. And his house looked a bit newer than my house. And, and I knew Joey, we were friends, we were close friends, and I, and I enjoyed the year of school with him, okay? Like, he was a great guy, I enjoyed him a lot. He never treated me with any sort of disrespect or as, as if he were any better than me or anything else, but I can tell you that when I showed up at his home, when I walked his halls, when I saw his bedroom, I realized Joey and I don't have as much in common as I thought we did. There's a difference there. That somehow walking into the home changed perspective. Jesus has spent some time in Zacchaeus' home. He's seen the pictures, he's seen the bedrooms, he's seen the kitchen, he's walked the hallways. He's sitting on the back porch with his disciples as they're on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Zacchaeus has likely invited his friends over and they're having this meal together and it's afterwards and they're hanging out and at some point, at some point in this whole story at Zacchaeus' home, Jesus says something. Maybe, maybe Zacchaeus invites him because, because Jesus is the guest of honor and Zacchaeus wants to make him great. And so maybe Zacchaeus gives him the opportunity to do some teaching. Maybe, maybe it just happens naturally and just in conversation. Maybe Jesus brings up and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I can't help but notice that you had some scriptures hanging over your door or in your hall. Whatever it is, Jesus says something. And then we get verse eight, which is significant. Verse 8, Zacchaeus says this, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus is transformed in a day. Zacchaeus wakes up that morning living and thinking and breathing and existing in one way and anticipating that the rest of his future will always be that way, that it will always continue to just be what it has been. He looks in his past, he sees who he is, and he anticipates that the future is full of a lot of that. And yet he has one interaction with Jesus, and by the time he puts his head down on the pillow that he got up from that morning, he is a completely different man. And the difference is that someone lived on mission with the purpose of seeking and saving what was lost and they were willing to call him by name and they were willing to go into his home. And it changed his life. It changed absolutely everything about him and who he was. And my favorite part of this all comes in verse nine. Jesus 
responds to this incredible proclamation that Zacchaeus makes, and Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. I like that. But he goes on, he says, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Salvation came to that house because Jesus showed up, because Zacchaeus recognized himself as a sinner and was willing to have his eyes open to welcome Jesus into his home so that he could respond to him appropriately. Because Zacchaeus understood who he was and viewed himself correctly, he was receptive to a savior who walked into his door and salvation comes to his home. And Jesus says that he is a son of Abraham. I wish that Jesus would have said it this way. I wish Jesus would have said, and now he belongs to the house of Abraham, which I think is synonymous and works. Because Jesus was willing to walk into his house, Zacchaeus was willing to change his address. Zacchaeus was willing to change who he was and transform more into Jesus' likeness, that he was willing to change in an instant to be saved because Jesus was willing to walk into his house. Now, for some of you in this room, last week we started with this reality that, that you need to know that Jesus knows your name. And today you need to know that Jesus knows where you live. That Jesus could pull you out of a tree as easily as he did Zacchaeus and announce that he's coming to stay at your home. And he would know the directions. You wouldn't have to lead him there. He knows where you live. He knows how you live. For some of you in the room, you need to know that whatever it is, that if I showed up to your home and there are certain things that would be put in the closet, whether, whether physical or, or figurative here, okay, that there's some things that you wouldn't want revealed about you to me when I came into your home. Jesus knows those things. And that the things that you would plaster on your walls, the things you would put up that you're proud of and that you're thankful for and grateful for, that Jesus also knows those things. And that he's very willing to walk in to your place and to interact with you, to, to, to live with you, to be a part of your life. That he knows where you live and he cares because he's come to seek and to save what was lost. You know you're valued and you're loved, that he knows your name. For most of us in the room, I think, to some extent, at some point in the past, we've probably dealt with those realities. And so it looks a little bit different for us. And it connects us back to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. If we call ourselves followers of that Son of Man, then it means that we ought to exist for the same purposes that he did. It means that we care about seeking and saving the lost, which means that we have to begin seeing how we're doing it. Do we know their name? That was the question we asked last week. This week it's, do you know where they live? And it's probably going to require you to open up your home. Unless you're like Jesus. I'm not, I'm not like Jesus in this. I don't just invite myself over to people's homes. And so that's a little bit out of my comfort zone. Maybe you can do that. If you can, beautiful. Go for it. All right. But you're probably more like me in that you have to maybe invite someone to your home. Like build the relationship to them, with them to the point that they might invite you to their home. A few weeks ago, I was doing a, a podcast with Patrick and Preston, and we were talking uh, about a different podcast that Patrick had been listening to, and it, there was a challenge to have 100 different people in your home in the course of a year. Now, for some of you, that sounds terrifying. Some of you, you're like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> like, that's, that's not how I want to live. That's not who I am. I'm, I'm private. I'm shy, whatever else. I get it. Here's the heart of it. Would you recognize that there are people in your life that God has placed in your life for the purpose of building relationship, not even for the sake of the two of you, but for the sake of him? 
that you would have an opportunity to build a relationship with them that will help get them closer to Jesus. And your home is a resource gifted to you to build that relationship. And so you open your doors and you invite those people in. Maybe 100's too much. Maybe some of you are thinking, oh man, I'm hitting that already. Let's hit 200. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't, it sounds wonderful, whatever it is. But it's recognizing that the way to get people to Jesus may be through your front door to bring them into your home, just as Zacchaeus did. He brought his friends into his home to meet Jesus. We see this all the time. Jesus would meet someone, and they'd invite all their friends over to their house so that they could meet Jesus. Maybe that's what you need to do. You need to start inviting people over to your house so they can meet Jesus. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you need to set a goal of being in 10 people's homes over the course of this year. That you would build relationships, that that, that coworker that, that works right next to you, you like them, you have lots of time with them, you're good friends, it's just that you've never like been friends outside of work. Maybe it's time you invite them over. Maybe it's time you build a relationship with them to at some point where they would actually invite you over. How beautiful would that be? Where you could walk in their home and get to know them. And it's hard. It's hard to say that you know people if you haven't been in their home, if they haven't been in your home. For Jesus, it's personal. That he came to seek and to save what was lost. He came to find those who were far from him. And if we're gonna claim, if we're gonna claim to be his followers and to be about what he's about, then it means that we have to start doing what he was doing. It means we gotta start knowing their name. It means we've gotta start going to where they're at. Finding people who don't know Jesus so that we can save them. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.